You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. The experiences of our lives affect the paths we choose and help make us who we are today. In part one of my conversation with Deborah Ann Bird, she revealed the ups and downs of her own life that eventually ignited a desire to perform and pursue a life on the stage. But just as it was with her personal journey, Deborah's path toward becoming an actor was slow but steady, and her first steps as a producer started from very meager beginnings. It was very humble. We often didn't have sets. If I could have lights and sound and costumes and the actors speaking the speech trippingly, I was okay with not having the kind of set that would make people go, oh, that's beautiful. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. And each week I talk with fellow actors and creatives as we explore the realities of what it really means to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can support this podcast financially. Learn about all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As season five of Why I'll Never Make It winds down, there's only one more episode left. The annual Look Back episode, which will release on this podcast's birthday, December 28th. I'll tell you more about that special presentation at the end of this episode. But for today, we pick up with part two of my conversation with Deborah Ann Bird. She previously opened up about her many personal struggles growing up, from absent parents and being put in foster care to becoming pregnant as a teenager. Professionally, she pursued careers in accounting and preaching, but didn't really find a home until becoming an actor on stage. But even then, she had doubts about her own abilities and where her life was headed. So we continue here with where we left off, as Deborah shares how she finally found her calling, not only as an actor, but producer and writer as well. At her very core, Deborah is a storyteller, and that is on full display in this episode as she talks about taking on Shakespeare's iconic role of Othello, as well as the early years of forming her own production company, Take Wing and Soar Productions. 
I imagine that's been quite a uh, journey of 19 years. And it has. Uh, yes, there's all that gumption, there's all that excitement of getting started. What was the first drawback, the first time when you thought, oh gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Uh huh. Uh, the, the first thing was absolutely fabulous. We did Richard III, and um, that was really, really great. And it it did really well. And then the next year, I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? Um, how do we, we do that again? And how do we? So I started to reach out to um, different people in the community. When you think back to, like, Trezana Beverly, who won the Tony for For Colored Girls. You know, she was a professor now working at Juilliard and other schools, but she still was an actor and not getting the opportunities that she wanted. She always wanted to play Medea. She always wanted to um, to play King Lear and be Lear as a man. She wanted to do a lot of things. And so I said, well, let me draw on the resources and the talents of not just people from my community, but I reached back to my college and I got some of my professors. I hired them to be directors so that when we came out of the block of the starters block, we would look like we were a professional theater company. We would look like we knew what we were doing and that everything was decent and in order. And then after like two years, I would die. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this is hard because then press started to pay attention and people started to pay attention and they wanted to do interviews and they wanted to they wanted to chat. And then some of the people around me would get upset and jealous that they wanted to talk to the founder. Um, and so that became a challenge. And I said, you know, what am I doing? Deborah Ann, you're an actor. You don't have to do this. Yes. By now, I already started a 501c3. I'm a grant writer now. I can do everything in the theater. Once I realized that, you know, the theater was going to be right for me is because I could do a lot of things. I had the bookkeeping part down. I had down management. I was good at organizational skills. I was good at forms. I was good at talking to people and managing people. I was good at all those things. And so it was great until it wasn't. And I, I was conflicted and said, you know, Deborah Ann, I'm going to just keep going a little bit because I told myself the longest running company that um, was run by people of color who presented the classics was three years. And that was 1821 to 1824. Oh, was that company? And that was the acting company. Hmm. And I said to myself, I know darn well that people of color can run a company. And I'm going to do at least five years. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. I had that pushing and fueling me to, as a goal, no matter what, I'm going to do five years. And so even though I was tired and even though I was feeling like, oh my God, I'm an actor and I'm not getting a chance to act now because I have to be an administrator and a producer, I didn't let that deter me because I knew that I needed for myself and for the people I was working with and for people who were naysayers, I needed to prove that that could be done. And so we made it to five years. And I said, mm, I'm tired. I think I'm going to just like go lay down somewhere. Right. And and Petronia Paley says, Deborah Ann, we need you. You, you, you can't quit now. Right. You got to keep going. I said, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to do 10 years. And that <laughs> is it. Now, I'm curious, you know, you'd gone through it five years. Now you've made this 10-year commitment. What had been the response, not only of the, of the actors and people that you had brought into the company, but your audience as well? How, how was your company being received? 
Well, it was being received pretty good. I mean, I'm really, you know, it was doing really well. Um, in the first couple of years, there was a little bit of red going on. But then after a while, we started to be in the black. I mean, I, I got some um, producing partners sometimes to, to help me to co-produce some shows so that we could end up in the black. So that was one of the things I really wanted to do. I wanted to end up in the black. I mean, I took every... Um, theater class, every management class, every development class, every marketing class, every class that I could possibly take to make this company a professional theater company, I actually took them, including CTI with the Broadway League. I did everything I could to make sure that it was going to be a visible and viable company. Uh, writing those grants, I got all of them except maybe two. Um, and so I, I was feeling empowered. I was feeling strong. I had some people around me. I had um, board members now, and I had some women from my community who who came on to help as board members, and then sometimes just um, volunteer staff. Um, and whatever little bit of cash flow we had, we pay for car fare, we pay for food, we pay for whatever we could pay for. The actors, you know, they were they had actors equity. They were we were doing showcase level, and whenever we could do better with the funds, we did better. And whenever we couldn't, we just couldn't. And so we did stage readings because in our community, a lot of people didn't know these kinds of plays. These were new plays for, for my community. Our audiences were 85% African-American, you know, like 10% white folks and another 3% and 2% Latino and Asian. And um, they were receiving, they were receiving these stories. Well, I mean, a lot of times when we did the comedies, like the rivals and Mrs. You know, Mrs. Warren profession and things like that, or, the importance of being earnest. We redid that. People really love them. They love Pekong, which is the Medea story set in the Caribbean. They loved A Darker Face of the Earth, which is the Oedipus story set in slavery time America. Um, we did a lot of Shakespeare's. We did a lot of Greek tragedies. We did, we did a whole lot of work and the people, mm -hmm. the audiences was really uh, loving it. They were eating it up. You know, when we did talkbacks, the interesting thing was sometimes audience members would say, I didn't know that we could do that. Not could as in permission, but could as in, I didn't know we had the ability to. Mm. And so that was very interesting. And sometimes people would be proud and excited about the kind of work that we were doing and the way that we were doing. It was very humble. We often didn't have sets, but I focused on the actors and their, their skill sets if I could have lights and sound and costumes um, and the actors speaking the speech trippingly, then I was okay with not having the kind of set that would make people go, oh, that's beautiful. Because the thing that we wanted people to pay attention to was that actor. And that actor was not only willing to be on the stage, but that they belonged there because they had the skill sets and able to be able to tell those stories like everyone else. And that that part made me extremely happy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've been playing the part of administrator, producer, and all that. You did eventually get back onto the stage, and and you got to play Othello, which which must have been a, a mammoth undertaking for for, for any actor, but. Hmm. For for a woman to take on this this man's role, how did you transform? How did you bring yourself to <laughs> shift into those kind of gears? Woo, that was a journey. It's still a journey. Um, of course, like like I said, ten years. Like I was at Marymount, and I wanted to play Othello. I knew that, and thirteen years later, I got a chance. Um. I, by by year 10 of, of Take Wing and Soar, I was really tired because I was doing year round. And I said, I need to do something else. I, I I need to shorten this. And so I said, well, what if I do a festival? I make a three-door, indoor, outdoor festival. And what if it has a stage reading and, and, a, and a full main stage outdoor, main stage indoor, and, and some other parts of it that makes it into a festival? And I thought, and I was at the Shakespeare Conference, the Shakespeare Theater Association, where the other producers of Shakespeare are. And I told them that I'm going to start the Harlem Shakespeare Festival. And they said, yay. And on the break, um, a young woman called Lisa Volpe, she came to me and she said, Deborah Ann, I hear you're starting the Harlem Shakespeare Festival. What is it that I can do to help you? I see you're the only brown person in the room and you're female. And I want to help you. Now, Lisa runs the Los Angeles Women's Shakespeare Festival. And she saw uh, someone who she thought that she might support. And I said, well, maybe you could help us by doing a stage reading with us. And we didn't know what we were going to do. She came to New York. We went downtown to see our mentor, Tina Packer. Uh, she was performing Women of Will downtown with Nigel Gore. And they performed the scene, Othello, Act 5, Scene 2. And I reminded myself, oh, my God, that's that show I want to do. So in the break, I say, hey, Lisa, you got any Iago in you? She said, yeah. You got some Othello in you? I was like, uh-huh, yeah, sure, mm -hmm, yeah. And and then we decided that we were going to do an all-female, multiracial stage reading of Othello, The More Venice. And it, it was great. We got cast 15 other women to round out the cast. We were down there at Ripley Greer. Ladies came through. If you were too girly, you wasn't the one. <laughs> Unless you were going to be Desdemona or Amelia. And we kind of already knew who they were. They were some big shots that were Lisa's friends. And um, and so we cast the ladies. And then Lisa started to give us workshops. She had been 20 years doing all-female Shakespeare. And so we all were learning how to walk, how to sit how to ambulate in a more direct manner, how to drop our voices of register or do, how to behave. And it was wonderful. And I said, before I got there, I said, Lisa, am I a female Othello or a male Othello? You know, they're women generals now. She said, Deborah Ann, this is a man's story. And I said, oh, what am I going to do with these? And she said, don't worry about that. We got that. <laughs> then I started to worry because I was like, what am I going to look like as a man? Uh-uh. And so <laughs> I thought about my little son, Joshua. He had a neat, short, curly afro, these beautiful sideburns and a lovely goatee. And I said, that's my look. 
I didn't want to look like a fool. I didn't want to look like a girl pretending to be a man. I didn't want to look like I had on excessive makeup. I didn't want it to be a distraction. I wanted the actor's challenge of really transforming and really as close as possible, remove my feminine and take on the masculine. No makeup, no jewelry, no perfume, except Othello's little gold hue. I changed my hair. I used to wear my hair way down my back. I changed it to a little Afro. But I didn't do that until the night of the, of the stage reading, which was sold out. And I was nervous as hell. I put my makeup on. I got that selfie. Oh, right. my God. I am my daddy's child. And places. And everyone saw me. I was like, oh, my God. My family going to see me. My community is going to see me. Now, by this time, I am a producer. And people know me in the world as that. So to be an actor is like strange again. I came because, on that because stage. At this point, how long had it been since you had been on stage? Um, I had a little break in there. Seven, eight years I went without without being on the stage. But then that can be a big break, yeah. When my uh when my mentor died, I said I'm gonna go on the stage and I did play Cleopatra. I figured I could since I did at school. I won won an honor at the public. They gave me a full scholarship to do their Shakespeare. Once I did my Cleopatra monologue, I must be okay. So I did that. (laughs) And so I had that under my belt. So there was some Shakespeare back in, you know, back in 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 the tank. But playing this man, I knew would be a challenge. And like I do when I'm playing other things, like if I'm playing something other than myself, like a Caribbean woman, me speak with an accent all day, every day, all the time. So when the time I hit the stage, you would not know that I'm really not Caribbean. I wanted to do the same thing with me playing a man. How do I remove my feminine self and become as masculine as possible so that when you saw the stage, you see a general, a man, a warrior? And I worked on it and I got damn close. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was extremely different. I'm curious was, in in taking on this this masculine role. Did it give you insight into into us men, or even mm-hmm. in, insight into your own femininity, playing mm-hmm. something so opposite? It it gave me a lot of insight. A lot of things happened after that. I did 2015, and 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 in those between all those times when I was becoming Othello. I thought I was just going to have a regular actor's journey and I was going to go in and learn my lines and, and, and just, you know, figure out how to put this character on. But a lot of other things started to happen Um, because of what I looked like and what I sounded like. A lot of people began to treat me differently. It was really interesting to discover that people would not hold the doors open for you anymore. It was interesting to discover that no one would get up and offer you the seat on the bus anymore. It was more um, interesting to learn that people did not walk down the street and smile at me like they normally do. All of those changes were really noticeable and palpable. The women in my world, sometimes they would, um, one of them particularly would say, you better get away from me, Deborah Ann. I have to tell my husband. Someone else would would run and cower when I came around. Oh no, Deborah Ann, get away from me. You Othello, no. The men in my world, they would tease and laugh and whisper and talk about me in the dark corners at the bar. All of that was 
sometimes it was fun and I was figuring it out, but sometimes it felt like rejection. And Did it, it felt remind like, you of that of those professors from college and what they'd told you? Um, not in that way. That was felt like being kept out, put out, and shut out. Mm-hmm. This felt like you are that thing. And that thing is wrong or nasty or um, not wanted in my space. And I was thinking, am I not the same kind, loving, generous human being that I always been? What the hell is gender anyway? Who created that shit? So I started to think about that. And then I started to think about myself and my life. And I thought about it. And I said, you know what, Debran? From the time you were a little girl, you always did. You were always exploring and discovering and curious. You did everything. You played double judge rope with the girls, but you also played tag football with the boys. You took the sewing class and the cooking class, but you also took metal shop and wood shop and ceramic shop with the boys. You fixed bicycle tires. You cornrowed girls' hair. You played with the girls. You played with the boys. I was always all of it male and female at the same time, not really knowing or clocking that. I know I remember I was thinking I was a tomboy (laughs) because I could do all those things, but I never really thought about it like that. And I never really thought about gender like that until I was becoming Othello. So not only were the people in my world changing and the people who knew me and the people who did not know me, not only were those things different, but I was understanding what it felt like to maybe be a black man. And it's a little lonely and frightening, felt like. Like people were scared of you. People would, you know, clutch their purses a little tighter. Really? Damn. Because I lived like that every day. I didn't have beards and mustaches and things, but it just, just the look of someone who looked like a Black man was really interesting. It was more interesting when in my male mind, in my male dress, Femaleness showed up in the form of changing of the moon, which is translation to menstrual. Mm. What happens when you have a male mind and your body tells you, sorry, you're a girl? <laughs> it's reminding you, hey, <laughs> remember me? Oh, shoot. Especially when it comes as a shock. I'm in rehearsal. I'm swinging my sword and my arm brushed against my tender breasts. And the pain shoots up to the brain. And it felt like my world was like, oh, what am I? Who am I? What's going on? <laughs> and it was weird because I couldn't look at Desdemona in the eye after that. I felt like an imposter. I mm. felt like it was hard to love her now because I was really a girl. But then at the same time, it was the same crazy Desdemona who kept saying to me every rehearsal, when are you going to kiss me? When are you going to kiss me? I was like, girl, I'm not going to kiss you. I mean, I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to kiss you on act three, scene four. No, I needed to be more organic. Really, Desdemona? Now, what was happening in the other side of my brain, on this side over here, was remembering back in college when I had a crush on her or her or her. Oh, shit. I'm not going to kiss this girl in rehearsals and everybody going to know I like girls. Hell no. I ain't doing that. I'm a leader in my community. They're not going to be talking about me. And then I was like, 
let all that be okay. But the part that was started to break my heart and make me more empathetic towards men and women, especially the women, was when I thought about Deborah Ann, you're an actor. And mentally, you're feeling some kind of way when the menstrual comes. What happens to those women or those female bodies who transition and now they live as men all the time? What happens to them every month? Because hmm. hmm. I was feeling some kind of way. So I was wondering. And then I was so empathetic and, and trying to understand that these people are just people trying to live their lives, trying to be okay. And I thought about men folk. And then all the girls in the bar was hitting on me and all the girls everywhere was hitting on me, hitting on my Othello or hitting on me after costumes off. And I was like, mm, what's this? I don't understand. But maybe I do, but maybe I'm not sure. So all of those things was going on. I had a myriad of things happening to me while I was becoming Othello. And it was very interesting. And I thought, I need to write about this. I need to write about these things. Is it a memoir? But I always thought I was too young to write one, even though I had a lot of living. And then I was like, is it a solo show? I always want to do a solo show. I never thought to write my own, but I always wanted to do one. I wanted to try it as an actor. Then I thought maybe it's both. So then I get to praying, which is it, Lord? And who's going to help me? And then in my mind, I see Paul. Edmondson from Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in the UK. I called him. I said, Paul, I have a project. You want to help me? And he'd tell me about it. I told him about it. And he says, yes. And then Shakespeare Birthplace Trust made me artist in residence. And I went out there and began to think about it and write. I did about nine, ten interviews, um, did some public speaking at some of the universities, and then came back home with all these tapes and and all these ideas for what this solo show memoir might be. And a plan to come back in three years and perform it there at the Birthplace Trust with um, Shakespeare's house. But before we did it, I had to figure out how I'm gonna write this damn thing, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I got a writing coach. I found this woman who seems like she spoke my same language. It felt like I understood her when she was explaining what she does and what she could offer. And I didn't have really money, but I figured I'm gonna find this money because this lady is the one, you know, I've always been able to feel spiritually what's right for me. And this woman felt right. And so um, I called her and we had a conversation and I found the money and I did the workshop with her and it was great. And then I walked away with this, play and now I needed someone to help me to make it theater worthy really really theater worthy I knew I loved Tina Packer from um, Shakespeare and Company and I said oh my god that would be amazing if I could get her to help me develop this show and then Lisa Volpe could direct um, and I finally came to a workshop at Shakespeare and Company and I said Tina I need your help she said read it to me I read it to her she said I got, I got you and so then we, we set off to make it right, and, and we made it as beautiful as we can, take it to the UK, performed it a couple of times there, bring it back to America, performed it for a body of Shakespearean producers and actors and teachers. And they that were must like, have been daunting because now you're, you, you know, you're not just presenting it to, you know, to Harlem residents who may or may not know <laughs> theater at all or, or Shakespeare. Now you're in front of the experts who know these this. These are the experts. I was scared as heck. I was, mm. <laughs> but 
I did it and they received it so well, you know, and then I got like 10, 12 bookings of it around the globe. And then COVID, doors closed. I know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm so glad that as things are opening up that you've gotten a chance to finally bring it to stage and bring it to life. How have these performances been that you've been doing? Oh, it's they've been amazing. You know, I really only had like two weeks to rehearse. Two weeks to rehearse anything is not a lot of time. Um, and, and then I had to go right into tech. So I was very, very nervous about all of that, you know? Um, but I knew I had Tina Packer. I knew I had Diane Harvey, who was my movement person. And I had Tina's son who, uh, Mar- Marty J and he's like a fight specialist and he's just like, really like a strong, aggressive man. And so I knew that he could help on those parts where I needed to be, oh, um, or project masculinity. Um, I knew that Tina was going to kick my butt and not let me quit. I knew that Diane Harvey was going to give me the best movement that I could possibly, my body could hold, even though I had a meniscus tear in the knee and all these other things going on. I knew that I could be okay. And Tina says, Deborah Ann, you're used to being in charge. You're used to doing almost every damn thing. Let me get you a team of people around you to support you so you can be an actor. Mm. How about that? Can we try that? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it just was beautiful because between my stage manager, my, I'm like, this is a solo show, but the contact sheet has 20 people on it. Mm, right. So now there's that community. There's that community. And now again. I feel supported in a different kind of way. Now I'm understanding again what it means to be an actor that is fully supported. What is that new thing? How do I trust it? How do I get used to it? Do I get used to it because I'm going to have to be gone from here after a while? And am I going to have that? Do I want that? Absolutely. Is it possible? Sure it is. And and now it's time to do it. Ah, I was scared to death. Final dress. I must have called line about 20 times. Right. I I can only imagine. I can only imagine how many times like, oh my gosh, did I skip a page? <laughs> <laughs> I did skip a page or two sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but it worked out and we we did our first two previews and um opening night was rained out, so we had to go indoors onto a stage where I had not done the show before, and we made it work. You know, are they going to, I'm a playwright and I'm an actor. Are they going to like the play and hate the actor? Are they going to like the actor and hate the play? Are they going to like both? Are they going to hate both? Ah! And so I was just going through all of that. And then I realized, you know, just get to praying like you always do. God, you got me. I got you. 
I'm going to make sure that I tell these stories to help change people's lives, that we get folks to understand, to have some empathy, to walk away and think about themselves, make themselves better, make the world better. This is what we're going to do. I got this. And then I got Tina. She's like a, I call Shakespeare mom. And she just like encourages you and just rocks you into calm and peace. And knowing that I have the, all the tools and all the equipment that I need to make this so is, is there. Just trust, bird. Be anxious for nothing. But everything by prayer and petition, make your request known before God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So I said, okay, I got this. And I think about the ancestors in the play, and I start. I hear them calling. Drum start. If someone was to ask little Debbie who she wanted to be when she grew up, I don't think she would have said Othello. But I'm sure glad that I got to experience that. Not just one, or two, but three times. And I guess it took that much practice to become fully undone. And so how has this process of becoming your own artistic director, your own writer, and now, you know, your own one-woman show, and you're back to the acting, what drew you into this whole profession to begin with, how does it feel now wearing all these different hats and being this person that does so many things? Well, you know, I have to kind of compartmentalize without putting myself in a box. I need to remember and remind myself often what role I'm playing, which hat I'm wearing. Um, and when I can do that well, then then all of us do well. Um, so then people don't feel like you're stepping on their toes or that you're watching them too closely. Um, when I'm an actor, I decide, go ahead and be an actor, knowing that I have a great team around me. If I don't feel like I have a great team, then I worry and I start to look at this, that, and the other thing. But knowing that I have a good team around me, I can relax into being an actor and allow myself the space of being served um, or helped or assisted, which is different for me. It's really beautiful to have that kind of experience. Um, When I'm a producer, I know what I need to do. I need to find the money. I need to get the people, get the people and the resources to make that project happen. Um, When I'm the writer, I feel like I'm free to explore and create and and figure it out and make it up, you know, but being the actor and the playwright, it comes a time where I have to just stop thinking about how to make it better with my perfectionist self, (laughs) how to shift (laughs) it and make it better. The hardest part I think for me has been Uh, The attention that came with photos and people want to talk to you and people want to see you and people want to hold your hand and people. Now, when I see people one on one after a show, we did a a workshop tour of this. That was fabulous. That was great. That was wonderful. But sometimes it's the people in your world who see you going and growing and expanding and they start to tease and they start to make fun and they start to accuse you of all kinds of things that are just not so. That's the hard part. It's a hard part of being away from your family for a long time because you're on the road somewhere. Um, um, 
or just being really, really public and being pulled this side and that side. Why you ain't home? Why you when you coming home? What's up? When you why you up? Why you working? Why you? I'm busy. I got something to do right now. And it's not that it's something I'm doing because, oh, it's fun. It's exciting. It's not just that. For me, this is a ministry. And I can see the lives that have been touched. I got all those um, reviews that the students have written. I see how it's shifting them, especially the ones who identify as they. It's really touching some lives. And so that theater ministry that I thought I was starting when I was a young person is absolutely back with it's this particular show. Yeah. yeah. And that feels like I'm on purpose. And so anything and anyone who's who's against that probably shouldn't be in my world. And that's the hard part. How do you let go of the things that are not serving you? Um, that's not serving the greater good. I think that's the biggest challenge. Well, it has been a joy to to kind of walk through this journey with you that you've been on. And I I certainly know for myself, it is it's really inspiring and it's really just it, it it's there's a connection i think is what it, what i feel i feel a connection to you i feel a connection to your story parts of it i relate to parts of it i don't but it all still feels very much like a connection and i think that that seems to be what you're bringing audiences and the people who see your work so i greatly appreciate you being on the podcast today thank you so much i really love my time with you patrick um and thank you again for inviting me to chat with you about the world and, and how we do it or how we get past not being able to do it sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much to Deborah for joining me on the podcast and a big thanks to you for listening and being a part of our conversation. Check the show notes for ways to connect with Deborah and learn more about her one-woman show, Becoming Othello, A Black Girl's Journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, there's just one episode left for this season, and it will be both a look back at 2021 as well as a look forward to season six. This is definitely not a best of episode. It's going to be chock full of new discussions, processing the year that was, and information on ways to make the coming year even better. You'll also get a sneak peek at the new guests and format for the show. That's right. Why I'll Never Make It is getting a makeover, kind of brushing off the residue of these past two tumultuous years with a refocus on the true mission of this podcast and how to connect us in more personal and productive ways. I am really excited for what this new season holds and I can't wait to share it with you. And I hope that you will be a part of it. And of course, share it with others along the way. Well, I am your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group, Background music featured in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time for the Season 5 finale as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.